it's so strange when you come prepared and the Lord just unprepares you and tells you to speak something else. But I like those times because they're exciting and they show us the wisdom of God. So I want you to turn to John chapter 13. The customs of the Jews <clears throat> were quite a lot. One of the customs was that the feet of the disciple, of, sorry, the feet of the people from the house were washed as a ritual before a meal. And um, it's usually they say, and that's what history says, that the lowest of the lowest of servants would would um, really be called on to do this act of service. <clears throat> but here we see something else happening. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. Do you understand what that feels like? Have you ever been made in charge of anything? Have you ever been made in charge of anything? Ever in your life? Lots of times, right? Maybe when you were working, maybe when in your home, maybe in your class as a monitor. You know, we've been put in charge. Do you know the feeling that you get when you're in charge? When you call the shots? Do you know that feeling? Listen to this. Jesus knowing that the Father had given into his hands all things. <laughs> I can't be more better charged than that. Jesus was made in charge of all things. All things. Everything. He was made in charge. How do you think he was feeling? Oh, let's see. And that he had come from God and was going to God. Rose up from supper. Laid aside his garments. That's his overcoat. Took a towel. Girded himself. This is what a servant would do. A servant. After that he poured water into a basin. And then he did the most astounding thing. He washed the feet of the disciples. Oh man. You look at the biggest teachers in history. You look at the biggest people who taught. None of them ever washed the feet of their followers. None. Not one. He didn't only wash them, he wiped them with the towel with which he was girded. This is really low work, okay? I still don't know the topic of what I'm going to speak about. But this is really low work. Jesus 
washing the feet and then taking the towel that is girded around him to really wipe the feet of the disciples. Do you know how dirty the feet of an Israelite in the time of Jesus really was? You didn't have tarred roads. You had cobblestone paths because the Romans were around. There was dust. There were stones. There was grime. There were wounds. Some of them may have not even afforded good shoes or anything of that sort. You didn't have a batas around there, you see. And he was washing their feet. He was washing their feet. They were smelly feet. They were not feet that could be admired. Not feet that you could look at and say, wow, so beautiful. So nice to touch, wow. Who manufactured them? <laughs> Nothing like that. Oh, it's got Wi-Fi. <laughs> Just simple feet, smelly, dirty, grimy, sometimes bloody, if you understand what I mean. Having wounds, feet. And Jesus takes up the feet and washes them. Peter, the smart one that he was, said, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, what I'm doing now you do not understand, but you will know after this. And Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. He says, Lord, not my feet only but also my hands and my head. He said, Lord, I want to be part of you. Don't, don't, don't remove that privilege from me. But why only my feet? Just wash everything. Wash everything. <laughs> and Jesus said, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, he says. You are clean. But not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? I can imagine the faces of the disciples. No. What are you talking about? You just washed our feet. That's what we should do for you. He says, you call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. Now, of course, many people have taken this very literally and have a washing of the feet ceremony. Now, what, what, he's really trying to, what he's really trying to say is, you need to serve one another. You've got to serve one another. Now, serve means you've got to become one another's servant. We say, but I can't be treated like a doormat. Well, Jesus just washed the feet of all his disciples. You can't beat that. It must be beautiful to wash one another's feet. I, we should try it once. But the point is not to really actually literally wash one another's feet. The point is, and I'm willing to do that, but the point is that we've got to serve one another. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly I say to you, 
A servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And then he goes on in verse 31. Jump to verse 31. Now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be no longer. I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you. Listen to this. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. As I have loved you. So that you also love one another. Verse 35. And listen to this very carefully. By this all will know that you are my disciples. How? If you love one another. That's a stunning statement. He does not say you will know, they will know you are my disciples by the number of dead that you raised to life. He does not say that they will know you are my disciples by the number of people you heal. Although that's part and parcel of being a disciple. But he says they will know you are my disciples by this one fact that you love one another. Because it's by your love that you will be identified. So what is this love? And the word for love here is a word called agape. Selfless love. Not selfish love. It's a selfless love. What is this love? Many people have got a lot of definitions for what love is. But if God is really telling us that we need to love one another. And John got this message through and through. He continued this message right through his letter. If you look at 1 John, he says, God is love. <laughs> he understood the importance of love. Look at John 3.16. What does it say? God saw what? Love. He understood that the message that God came to give man was this. Love. Two things. Love towards God and love for one another. Amen? Love towards God and love for one another. The love towards God was because of what he has done for us. The love towards one another is because of what he has done for us. They're both because of what he has done for us. You can't love another person for any other reason but this one reason. Because of what God has done to you. And that's why Jesus gives this example. You see, he gives this example of the servant who owed the king a lot of money, right? And what happens? The king says, okay, fine, you have to pay up. He says, I don't have anything. Please forgive me. Forgive my debt. And he says, okay, fine. You don't have any money to give. That's okay. Don't give me any money. Your loan is canceled. But this servant, dirty, idiotic, foolish, stupid, wicked servant that he was, goes to his own colleague who owned him a very small sum. And he says, no, you have to give. And he started beating him up. The soldiers saw it, brought this guy to the king. And the king said, I forgave you such a big debt. And you can't forgive him? Really? 
take him, let him be tormented. Let him be tormented. Every pie, until every pie is paid, let him be tormented. The problem is we have too many tormented Christians. You know the reason? Because we are not willing to love. We have not understood the enormity, the magnanimity, the breadth, the depth, the width, the length of the love of God. Had we understood that, our automatic response would be love one another. But right now, as it were, we have to struggle to love one another. Why is it so? Because we have not understood the love of God for us. Do you understand? Think of the biggest, the most dirtiest, the most nastiest sinner in your life. Who has been causing you the worst of trouble in your life. And listen, you caused God more trouble than that person. And God forgave you. We've got to forgive one another. Our sin and our crimes against God is much, much more as compared to anything that we've done to one another. That's what it means. Right? It's like if you've got a loan in dollars from the Bank of America and you've got a loan in rupees of a few thousand rupees in the Bank of India, well, that loan is bigger. That loan is bigger. We've got to check where we are. Do we have love? But then comes the next question. What is love? And so comes the most misinterpreted, most misunderstood, most romanticized verse and passage in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Can we turn to it please? One Corinthians chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. Now he does not say it's wrong to speak in tongues. What he says is, if I, have, if I speak in tongues, but I have not love, I'm just a loud sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, he does not say that there is no gift of prophecy. He says, if you have the gift of prophecy, if you understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I can move mountains, but I have not love, then I am nothing. I am nothing. He does not say it's wrong to have prophecies, it's more important to have love. What he says is if you have prophecies, if you've got faith, if you've got all these work, gifts of miracles and everything, that's good. But if you don't have love along with it, what you've got is just nothing. And you see how Jesus worked the miracles. You see how Jesus worked the healings. He went to this widow of Nain. He went there and he saw that her son was dead. He saw her mourning. And you see what, what, what happened there. He was moved with compassion. It was love that drove him to heal. To, to cast out demons. To, 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 to set people free. To raise the dead. 
it was love that drove him and though i bestow all my goods to feed the poor and though i give my body to be burned but i have not love it's useless it profits me nothing it's fruitless think about that it profits me nothing that means things that we do really profit us how do they profit us they profit us for our reward in heaven we are saved by the blood but what is the reward that we will be getting in heaven will be based on what we do and listen to this jesus at one point in uh, i mean paul in one point in time he says i think it's in 1 corinthians 12 isn't it or is it 1 corinthians yeah it's it's in 1 corinthians but a but a bit at the back anyways i think it's 1 corinthians 3 what he does say is he says all your work will be judged like as though by fire like as though the judgment will be a test by fire now how does that happen does not mean that you are going to go through fire the the gaze of the lord literally is going to be as though fire the way in which god is going to decide this work is okay this work is not okay is by a fire what is he really trying to say he says that all your works some are going to be wood and hay some are going to be gold and silver some are going to be precious stones those that survive the fire are the good ones those that don't are not the good ones do you understand and you will be saved no doubt about it but at very viva before the lord that you will go through is going to be such a horrible one such a horrible one because everything is going to be looked at and at that time at that time are you going to be ready to face the shame are you going to be ready to face that shame and here paul says all your miracles all your big things that you do if you do not have love inside of you you have profited nothing you know what that means all the big miracles that you work are like wood and hay oh my goodness so we better understand what love is we better understand what love is and the word of god the spirit of god just leads paul and he explains what love is verse 4 love suffers long love is kind love what does a contemporary christian understand that love has to suffer long now that word actually means endure that love endures then when somebody persecutes you when somebody causes trouble for you you have to endure then that's love and is kind love does not what envy is not jealous love does not parade itself is that does not show itself off and does not say oh listen i've done so much for this person i've done this and i've done that that's love parading itself and we are all guilty of it at some time or the other love is not puffed up pride and love don't go together there is no proud love I love my son I'm so proud of him oh that doesn't happen pride and love don't go together 
is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. You know what it means to behave rudely? It does not mean that you are not supposed to tell the truth without compromise. It means rudeness. There is a degree of rudeness with we as Christians sometimes behave. It does not seek its own. Does not seek its own. Love does not seek its own. Love does not seek its own. Agape does not seek its own. Love does not seek its own. You don't know what that means. That means that love does not look at its own. If I say I love somebody, I'm not going to look at my own benefits. I'm not going to look at what I like to do or what I feel best. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked. <laughs> That's the worst part. We get provoked so easily. How can we love one another if we are provoked so easily? Thinks no evil. Love thinks no evil. It does not seek to control. It does not seek to dominate. It does not seek to control the person's life. But rejoices in the truth. You see, love rejoices in truthfulness. That's why the Lord says, if you need to worship God, you need to worship Him in spirit and truth. Well, if you love God, you're going to love Him in truth. Really love Him. If you love one another, you will love them really. This is God's standard of love. But love rejoices in the truth. It rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. Hopes all things. Love is not something that gives up. If you say you love, you cannot give up. <laughs> you can't give up. Love hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. You know what's that definition of? That's the definition of God's love for you. So when God said he loved the world, in John 3.16, God so loved the world, God suffered long for you. God was kind. God did not envy. God did not parade himself. He came as a small baby. He was not puffed up. He did not behave rudely. He did not seek his own. He was not provoked. He thought no evil. He did not rejoice in iniquity, but he rejoiced in the truth that when somebody did iniquity, he did not rejoice in it. He stood up and said, this is wrong, even at the risk of losing his followers. And then he rejoiced in the truth. But love bore all things. He was patient. Do you understand that God was patient with you? That's the one mark of love. Patience. Bearing one another, patient with one another, and truthful with one another, straightforward with one another, but not looking at your own selfish gain, not looking for your own self, but looking.
for what the Lord wants. Looking for the good of the other. That is what love really is. That is what love really is. And we are called to love one another. We are called to love the Lord. And we are called to love one another. Where else do we find love? We find love in Galatians. Galatians 5. 22 to 23. But the fruit of the spirit is love. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, there is a shortcut for love. The fruit of the spirit is love. That means if you are following the Lord and seeking the Lord in all things and following the Lord and the Spirit is leading you every step of the way, if you are a woman or a man led by the Spirit of God, you will have one fruit, one outcome of that in your life. And you know what that is? Love. That's love. Do we have love in our lives? It's a question we need to ask ourselves. Do I have love? Do I have love? Paul calls us to examine one another. To examine ourselves. Sorry, not one another. Examine ourselves. Test whether we are in the faith or not. We've got to check. Are we in the faith? Are we following the Lord truly another place the word of God says owe nothing to one another except the gift of the debt of love <laughs> have no other loan except the debt of love we need to check if we are willing to love but as I said there's no way there's absolutely no way we can love one another unless we understand the love of God. It's the enormity of the love of God that drives us to love one another. Only if we understand what God has done for us will we be able to love one another. Look at 1 Corinthians 16.14. 1 Corinthians 16.14. Look at what he says. Let all that you do be done with. Be done with. Love. Look at what he says in verse 13. Watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. Fight the good fight literally. But let all that you do be done in love. <laughs> Let all that you do be done in love. To show you the importance of this love that is defined there, we need to go to 1 John 4, 8. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Do you know the one sign if you're born again? <laughs> you will love one another. What kind of love? 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. 
and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Verse 8. He who does not love does not know God, <laughs> for God is love. You can mentally know in your mind what God has done for you. You can mentally know what God has done for you. But do you really know God? Unless you understand the love that God had, you will never know. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us. That God sent his only begotten son into the world. That we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God. But that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. You see John drawing that parallel. Until and unless we understand the enormity of the love of God in the cross. We will never be able to love one another. It's so strange when, I, when, when the message is preached on love that people start getting all gooey-mooey with one another. Well, that's not love. That's gooey-mooey. If you really want to understand love, you need to get back to the cross. The new commandment always was love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength and love one another as yourself. You see? You have to understand the love of God for you. Only if you understand the love of God for you, will you be able to love one another. Only if you understand the love of God for you. Look at the words there. He says, in this is the love of God. In this the love of God was manifested towards us. If we need to understand the love of God, he says, this is how the love of God was made manifest to us. How? That God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. The fact that you are alive and are born again was because of the love of God towards you. Well, we've got to love now. That's the command. We've got to love one another because of what he has done. Because of what he has done. Again, 1 Peter 4.8 says something really interesting. Does anybody know that? Love one another earnestly since love, what? covers a multitude of sins <laughs> love covers a multitude of sins does anybody know what that means love covers a multitude of sin actually what P Peter does is he kind of quotes Proverbs 10 so if you turn to Proverbs 10 Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love... So what's the opposite of hatred? What's the opposite of love? It's, it's, it's a pity that many Christians don't know this. What's the opposite of love? We've got to call a, call a spade a spade. What's the opposite of love? And so he says, hatred just stirs up strife. Do you have strife? Check out if you have hatred. <laughs> but love, what does love do? Covers a multitude of sins. Covers all sins. What does that mean? What does it mean that love covers all sins? What do you think it means? 
it overlooks it overlooks the wrongs done to you love overlooks do we understand do we understand what god is really telling us that we've got to be having an attitude of a servant towards one another and love one another do we go with an attitude of being a servant towards fellow christians towards the people in the church do we love one another do we love the people outside the church we've got to check of course the famous verse john 1 john 4:19 we love because he first loved us you see john just understood this message of love very clearly he says unless you understand the love of god you will not be able to love one another We can't busy ourselves trying to say, "Okay, fine. There's not much love between us, so let's work on this." Okay, let's just work on this love with one another. Let's just work. Let's just work. Let's just work. Let's just work. So fine. Today I'm going to make a biryani for Melanie. Tomorrow I'm going to give some uh, 10-15 lakhs to Vrinda. The day after I'm going to give some chocolates to Amanda. I'm just going to work on this love. You know, we've got to love, love, love. We've got to love, love. You can't do that. You've got to understand the love of God. accept the love of god and then it provokes you it drives you to love one another it drives you to love one another it drives you to love one another let's turn to the letter of ephesians Actually let's turn to Romans 5:8. Again Paul, the reason I'm I'm going through this verse is just to make make it absolutely clear to you that love is something that you cannot escape. I'm keeping the best one for the last. Love is something that you cannot escape. Love is something that is a command and the only way that you can truly love properly is by understanding the love of God. Look at this, Romans 5:8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. If we want to see a demonstration of God's love towards us, look at this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were sinners, Christ died for us. For most of us here, while we were not even born sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Turn to Ephesians. Ephesians 5, I think. Ephesians 5. Verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. What did God do when he came in the flesh? He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He met one another's need even if they didn't follow him. That's what he did. Verse 2. And walk in what? Walk in love as Christ also has loved us, given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. 
but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness let it not be named among you as is fitting for saints you see what he starts off with he says love walk in love he says a little further in ephesians ephesians 4 sorry not further backwards ephesians 4 Ephesians 4 chapter 2 Walk worthy of the calling which you were called with which you were called with all lowliness that's humility gentleness with long suffering now many people have misinterpreted long suffering to mean suffering for a long time no that's not what it means it means enduring long okay does not mean that you need to be sick it means that you need to endure all sorts of trials that come all sorts of persecution that comes bearing with one another what bearing with one another what bearing with one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace love again do we love one another The question that I'm asking you right now, answer. Do you love yourself? That's not this the one love the word of God does not does not recommend. Do you love your family? Yes or no? Answer, answer, answer. Do you love your family? Do you want to love your family? Do you love your neighbors? you love the people around here in this church right now all of them yes then i'm coming with a final verse that's a bombshell jesus just raised the stakes luke 635 sorry luke 632 but if you love those who love you what credit is that to you for even sinners love those who love them and if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Think about it. Do you think Dawud Ibrahim does not love his wife or his children? Of course he does. Did Osama bin Laden not love his wives and his childrens? Of course he did. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. <laughs> and the whole drug mafia basically works with this principle. They lend one another money to receive something back. Verse 35. Listen very carefully. And I try to look at the real Greek meaning behind this. And you need to understand. It's not what it seems. Listen to this. But love your what? Enemies. You know what that really means? People have been misinterpreting this. You know what that really means? Love your enemies. You know what that really means? Nothing more than what's written there. Love your enemies. It's what it is. You can't sidestep it. You can't change it. You can't say, okay, I can't do it. 
Now, the misinterpretation is in this. Many people feel, okay, if I love my enemies, I need to be allowed to just, like for example, somebody may be involved in, in some sort of witchcraft or some sort of sorcery. And I say, okay, fine, I'll just be subject to the sorcery. It's okay, I have to love my enemies. No, 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 that's not what it says. Remember, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind. So first you need to love God and then love, your, love one another. But not only love one another, love your enemies. How do I love? That's where the key of love is. See, there's a thin line. There's not a thin line. There's a very fat line actually between true love and false love. True love and false love. The true love is what is called agape love. The false love, there's a whole list of definitions of false loves. One kind of false love is erotic love. Just the erotic side of things. Just the lustful side of things. Nothing else, just lust. The other kind of false love is... How do I put it? Um, a martyrdom love, you know? Uh, uh, it's a false humility love. A false humility love. Oh, just... Just... I'm just going to do this because this is what love is. I'm very humble. But actually, I'm very proud. Okay? It's a very proud love. I take everything that's done. I become a prisoner only because I feel I love. The other kind of false love is another extreme where I love myself. The other kind of false love is I only love one another. That's called humanism. But I don't love God and I don't want to love the Lord our God and I don't want the Lord and I don't have faith and trust in the Lord. But the true love is when we love one another by first understanding how God loved us and then loving one another by doing to one another what God would want us to do. Loving one another led by the Spirit. Remember, love is the fruit of the Spirit. If you have any other kind of love, it's not the fruit of the Spirit love. What God is talking about is the fruit of the Spirit.